His Love Christian Fellowship is excited to share this podcast with you. We hope you enjoy this message. And your love forever. Peter denied Jesus three times. And afterward, he left. After Jesus died, he went off to be by himself. He went back to fishing. He was filled with condemnation, shame, and I think at that point his plan was just to forget that he'd ever been with Jesus and try to erase that part of his life because it was too painful. The enemy's plan at that point was to kill Peter's calling, to destroy his powerful destiny, and that's the leader of the church. I'm not going to do this the whole time. Bear with me. You get over some stuff real quick. Lord, help me. But Jesus showed up, and he redeemed that situation. Not only did he restore Peter's destiny so that he was able to be the rock that Jesus had called him to be. I swear I'm not going to do it. Stop it, Jared. (laughs) Not only did he restore what was lost, not only did he take away Peter's condemnation, but Jesus was able to transform Peter's shame into a tempered humility which was an excellent tool for a man like Peter, something that Peter needed in his ministry. Jesus didn't just redeem, he made it better. (sighs) Go back a few hundred years. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He made a big mistake. And then he ended up murdering Uriah, one of his top men and a close friend, according to the Bible, in order to cover up his mistake. As a result of that mistake, God said that the sword would not depart from his house. He had to deal with his children being at each other's throats for the rest of his life and after he was gone. The enemy's attempt was to spite David. That was a hateful attack on David. He wanted to throw down David, who was the man who was declared to be after God's own heart. It was a hateful act, and he wanted to destroy the seed of Jesse, whom God had promised would never depart. But God redeemed that situation, because out of the union of David and Bathsheba came Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, and who was a great blessing to Israel, at least in the first part of his life. In the Garden of Eden, Satan manipulated Adam and Eve into becoming enemies of God and to becoming allies of death. At that point, whatever God had planned for humanity and for creation had been crushed in its infancy before it ever had a chance to become anything. Confident in his victory, Satan addresses God and says, God, you have two choices at this point. You can either uphold the justice that you've set in place and watch your beloved die, which would be just punishment for their transgressions, or you can save your beloved 
and in doing so, defy the very justice system that you have created, and break your word, making you unreliable and void. In either case, I win. At this point, I imagine God looks over at his son, Jesus. They don't say anything, but an understanding passes between them. And immediately, redemption is set into motion. And God is able, with confidence, to look at Adam and Eve and Satan, filled with rage at the one who would attempt to harm his beloved and filled with explosive joy, he's able to say, I get to show you who I really am now. He says, not only am I going to redeem this situation, not only am I going to save my beloved, not only am I going to maintain the integrity of my word, but I'm going to do so in a way that is so powerful and so unexpected that when it comes, it will shake the world to its foundations and the world will not be able to forget about it. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and we are not able to forget about it. What I want to talk about tonight is God's ability to redeem situations and circumstances. We like to say, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned to good. I think that comes from Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, and he's talking about being sold into slavery. He said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. But I think what's happened is that's a really awesome phrase. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned to good. So we use it a lot. But over the years, it's lost some of its impact. I think the false perception that maybe we're not even aware of is that if God redeems a situation, if he cleans up a mess, then it's just him salvaging what he can from a disaster. The Lord's been speaking to me about how much bigger he is than what we think he is, particularly in regards and his ability to redeem situations. Hmm. So I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit. <sighs> Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. He did not want to go to Nineveh. So he entered into disobedience and tried to get away. Now, God knew that Jonah was going to Nineveh one way or another, so I don't think God panicked when Jonah got on a boat and headed the opposite direction at full speed ahead. However, I also don't think that the original plan was for Jonah to get tossed overboard, swallowed by a giant fish, and then puked up by said fish a few days later. You know, we don't know that for sure. We don't get to find out what would have happened if Jonah had been obedient, but... I feel like plan A for Jonah was a little less painful. (sighs) 
here's something real quick. Um, Jesus and Jonah both fell asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. Jesus and Jonah both had to have their shipmates wake them up and say, how can you be sleeping? We're all going to die. Jesus and Jonah both went up onto the deck and they managed to calm the storm. Now Jonah made the storm stop, essentially by sacrificing himself to atone for his sin of disobedience. He knew what he had done, so he threw himself into the sea to make up for it. Jesus calmed the storm by taking hold of his father's authority and commanding it to be quiet. One was a man of God from the old covenant who could only access his God through the rules. The other was a man of God from the new covenant, the first of the new covenant, who was able to access his God through relationship. That's a freebie that doesn't really have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But anyway, Jonah gets swallowed by the fish and then spat up at Nineveh. So God gets him where he wants him to go regardless of what he does. Now what's cool about that though is while Jonah was in the fish, he got to understand a little bit better of who God was. So God used Jonah's disobedience as an opportunity to reveal himself to Jonah a little bit more and to further refine Jonah's character. That's what God does when he fixes our situations. Not only does he restore what was lost, he doesn't say, oh, well, you screwed up. Let me salvage what I can and we'll get you a consolation prize. He says, oh, good, watch me turn this from bad to great and let me show you who I am. I don't know why, but I think Jesus loves it so much. It's one of his chief pleasures when he gets to show us more of who he is. So there's a lot of examples in the Bible, which I just kind of talked about, about Jesus taking bad situations and turning them into something good. And I think that applies to our lives today. Let's just say, and disclaimer, I'm head over heels for my wife. This is just an example I think probably everybody could relate to on some point because we all are married or want to get married. But let's say God wants you to marry so-and-so, but you end up marrying what's-their-face. Now, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Now, God's best for you might have been so-and-so. But for whatever reason, you didn't marry so-and-so, you married what's-their-face. Does that mean that your marriage to that person is doomed to failure? I say no. Does that mean that your marriage to that person has to be miserable? I say no. I believe that if that sort of thing happens, God can redeem the situation. If both parties are willing to submit and to humble themselves and to walk in obedience, there is an opportunity for God to take that marriage that may not have been what his plan A but he can still turn it into something awesome and powerful. It can be equally beautiful too, yet distinctly different from plan A. So just because you didn't go along with what God originally had for you, he can still turn it into something awesome, even if it doesn't look like the original design. This world we live in is not the original design. This is the formerly fallen, now redeemed world in which we live. We don't know what the original design was going to look like. You know, we just have a picture of, in the first few chapters of Genesis, of what it was supposed to be. So we can only guess at this point. However, Jesus redeemed this world and broke the curse that was over it. So we are a redeemed people and a redeemed creation. Now, does that mean that this redeemed world is better than what we had before the fall? Again, I don't know. We don't get to know those things. I will say this, though. 
It's hard to imagine a history in which the intervention of Jesus was not necessary. Death and suffering came into this world. Every bad thing that happens in this world now is a consequence of the poor choices in the Garden of Eden. However, we have been able to see the Father's love for us in such a profound, powerful, unimaginable way that we may not have otherwise known. We get to sing about how good our Father is when there are so many difficult things, not just in our lives, but in the world in general. You know, we've heard it said that um, it's great to worship on earth when things are hard because we won't get the opportunity in heaven. Now, had things stuck to the original design, would we have been able to worship Jesus in hard times? I don't know. I'm just saying, this is different than what God planned originally, but that doesn't mean it's worse. We have something that is distinctly different from, yet I believe equally beautiful to, what God had originally designed. And that is powerful. That is a picture of God's redemption for your lives. You know, there are so many stories out there, so many testimonies of people who were in rock bottom, stuck in some of the worst forms of depravity. Yet Jesus encountered them and pulled them back up. He redeemed them. And now a lot of those people are possessed of a passion and a fire that is frankly um, mind-blowing. You know, we've had, it's been joked about by us lifelong churchgoers, but it's true. It's like, I wish I was addicted to crack. God saved me because they have all this, this awesome testimony They have this awesome testimony, and they're on fire for the Lord. It's like, why are they like that? Because they have a deeper understanding of what it means to be forgiven of their sins. They love much because they know they have been forgiven of much. That's biblical. Now, that's a picture of redemption to me. That is God's redemptive power. The enemy meant it for evil. The enemy meant to destroy their destiny. God turned it around so that not only is their destiny restored, but they are on fire. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! They are on fire because they understand what they've been given. Now, did God want those people to be stuck in bad situations? Did he want people to be addicted to drugs? No, he did not. But again, that's the testimony of his power, that even though things went differently from what God planned, uh, these people walked away from God's best, he's able to use it to create something completely new, completely unexpected, completely powerful, and it flies in the face of what the enemy planned to do. Ha. <sighs> You know, um, one of the things that stirs me up are uh, books. I think I've mentioned that before. Certain books really um, touch my heart. One of them is uh, the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote Lord of the Rings, amongst other things. Now, um, quick disclaimer, Tolkien said on multiple occasions he never meant for any of his works to be an allegory for anything. He just wrote a good story because he wanted to write a good story. But at the same time, the man was a devout Roman Catholic. He was a strong Christian. He believed in God. And so, um, a quote from one of his books, uh, paraphrased slightly, I believe, speaks to what I'm talking about, and it always catches me in my spirit, and I think it's awesome. 
Um, I'm just doing this from memory, mildly paraphrased, So, but it basically says, There is nothing that does not have its uttermost source in God, nor can anyone spite God's designs. Whoever tries to do this will only find themselves to be God's instrument in the creation of more beautiful and more powerful things which they themselves cannot imagine. Is that not an encouraging thought? I mean, that that is essentially the summation of what I want to talk about. If there is not a situation that is too big for God to fix, and not only fix, but turn into something even more wonderful. And to tell you the truth, I don't know why I'm talking about this. It's like, I don't, it's not like it's something that we haven't heard before, and it's not like I'm trying to drop mind bombs on anybody. So I really don't understand, but it was dropped into my spirit, and it was really powerful, as you could tell from the, um, all, all the tears in the beginning. It was really powerful in my spirit, and so I was praying about it. God, why do you want me to talk about this? And he said, I want you to say it because it's true. I was like, well, that's good enough for me. So I don't know what to do with this at this point. I've spat out what God gave me. You guys have it all over you now. So I think if you guys will join me, I'd just like to pray and release whatever this is. Mm. Lord, there is no one who's bigger than you. God, there is no one who is as good as you. Lord, we just thank you that you are so awesome. Lord, we just thank you that the enemy thought he had you cornered, but he doesn't understand and cannot understand who you are because you are beyond selfish ambition. Lord, you are explosive joy and you are explosive rage and you are explosive power all contained in one unimaginable package, God. We just glorify who you are, God. We acknowledge who you are. And Lord, I just pray that whatever your intention was with this word, that it would go out and that it would hit like a truck, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that it would go out from this place, God, and it would impact lives and it would impact hearts and situations. Lord, we release the revelation of what it means for you to redeem a situation in truth, Lord. Lord, we just call out angels to go out and begin to redeem situations, situations that have been waiting for a long time to turn to good. Lord, we declare that situations will change, circumstances will change. They will be redeemed in a way that not only restores what was lost, but creates something new and beautiful, which we have not imagined. Thank you, Lord. We declare it in your name because you're good and you're big. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, mark a date. I'm telling you, that was a prophetic word, just like the one that he had the, with, the, with the glory and the fire. That was a prophetic word from the Lord. Mark the date. Get ready to see redemption in areas you did not think could happen. And God, we thank you. Lord, you, you desire for people to believe you and to trust you way beyond what they see in this glory that Jared was sharing about. And I just say yes and amen. We mark the date. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. 